Hello, you're listening to Knight's History Cast, where we have conversations about history. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Central Florida's History Department. I'm Holly Baker, and I'll be your host for this week's episode of Knight's History Cast. I talked with Dr. Zeb Garber during the 2018 Judaic Studies Lecture Series at the University of Central Florida. Dr. Garber is Professor Emeritus and Chair of Jewish Studies at Los Angeles Valley College. His presentation was called, A Jewish Response to Jesus, Engaging the Gospels. Have a listen to our conversation. Welcome and thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I would like to ask you some questions based on your lecture this evening that's titled, A Jewish Response to Jesus, Engaging the Gospels. Could you tell me about what you're going to be talking about later today? Yes, the topic is, as it says, or as it's titled, A Jewish Encounter with the New Testament. And the innovation that comes into a topic like that is first the surprise that many people have. The New Testament, as the term implies, is something new. The Jews, in their understanding of Bible, do not have a New Testament edition. So why would a Jew encounter the New Testament? There are all kinds of explanations of why a Jew should encounter the New Testament. Part of it is a learning exchange. Part of it is to learn what's often referred to in ecumenical circles as the sibling brother, where Jews and Judaism referred to by the church, the Catholic Church, for example, as the elder brother and the church as the younger brother. Other terminologies used over the years in ecumenical, which means cross-denominational dialogue, include such terms as chosen people for the Jews and chosen church for the Christians. And so just by the choice of titles, one can see there is a distinction suggesting that a dialogue does not mean you have to agree with me completely or I with you, that there are differences. And the real challenge, can you respect differences? It's been my experience. I've been in the educational field since I was a graduate school student. And I think it's important I reveal dates to you. I began my graduate school work at UCLA in 1962. By 1964, I walked into a college classroom teaching a Hebrew language class. And every year since then until now, the year of our Lord, as I like to say, 2018, I've been in the college classroom. I also introduced the first ever Jewish studies program in the state of California in 1971. I remember very distinctively a conversation with then the head of the Los Angeles Community College District Board, a man by the name of Jerry Brown, the son of a governor, Pat Brown, Edward Pat Brown, a man who's now, as I speak, retiring from his governorship from California. But back in those days, a young Jerry Brown head of the L.A. Community College District Board, and a younger professor, Zev Garber, had coffee together. He smoked his cigarettes. I smoked my pipe. which smoking was still acceptable in a public area. And he asked me, what is Jewish studies? The word Jewish studies did not exist, did not exist, did not exist, until a professor at a two-year college put it on the map. The very first degree in Jewish studies in the state of California was at Los Angeles Valley College, that university, uh, one of the 10 community college districts of the LA Community College District. I remember my chutzpah, my little audacity, you might say, when asked what is Jewish studies, I asked what is a Jesuit doing with Buddhism? That broke the ice. A Jesuit became eventually a Buddhist, became a governor, and also in his time a presidential candidate, and a Zev Garber somehow developed a Jewish studies program. 
I say that to you because part of the Jewish Studies offerings, and we have put together 18 different classes, very unusual for a two-year college, including classes in Hebrew language, classes in Yiddish, Jewish literature in translation, the original, and on, and also the subject of Jesus in Talmudic Judaism. Unusual, to say the least. There's not that much time, there's not that much expertise, there's not that much scholarship, but I felt it was necessary for Christian origins to be introduced in a non-religious academic environment and so introduced. Little did I know then what was to be eventually, as I speak to you now, one of my fortes. I'm known in Shoah writing. I'm the editor-in-chief, now emeritus, of a major journal in Jewish studies called Shofar from Purdue University. I am also the one responsible together with someone else, Bruce Sigmund from USC, of putting the word Shoah, not Holocaust, on the map, to the degree that Elie Wiesel, the great author and now deceased Holocaust survivor, was there in the audience at Oxford University when I challenged the validity and the, and the applicability of the word Holocaust, which is a burnt offering to God, to be the proper term for the destruction of billions of Jews, and I also always say non-Jews. There's a tendency of people to say Jewish tragedy, Holocaust, excluding others. I do not talk this way. In a similar way, when I talk about the words and the meaning of a word, I respect the destruction word involved, but I have a hard time, as the word Holocaust means a burnt offering to God, to bring God into this. Having said that, I'm going to be taped tomorrow before your studios here on that very chapter that Zev Garber put on the map then as well as now, as a new encyclopedia is carrying my words as well. And somehow, if a word is going to be used, you have to find a redeeming value. So let me perhaps conclude this way. I don't like God being a partner with Nazi murderers of Jewish people and others. That's what you're saying, a burnt offering to God. On the other hand, the tragedy of seeing millions in ashes sprung all over this planet Earth, clouds over Poland and elsewhere where death camps were, I cannot agree to the exclusion of God as God is God, the merciful one, the just one, the deciding one to be excluded from this. Having said that, Jesus comes into the picture. Terribly important, my talk today, and Christians will be moved, of a Jesus coming back to the concentration camps. Jesus a Jew, who no doubt would have been one of the six million in the flesh. And Jesus called the Christ would look at empty cathedrals in Europe and say to Christians who are descendants of Hitler, his relatives, by the way, live in Long Island, and other Christians who primarily were bystanders, words which I will put on his mouth. In the name of Jesus, what have you done to my people? What have you done to my name, murdered my name, and my people, the Jewish people? Talking that way breaks barriers, and Christians get moved, Jews get turned around, and now let's pick up the pieces and talk. That's my purpose. I thank you, see for inviting me. They're inviting a radical, but this radical speaks with tears. It's very meaningful. We're very glad to have you here and to have this talk this evening. Why is it important to examine historical Jesus and to highlight his Jewishness? Well, the historical Jesus, I think, is where I can go and where, frankly, what, what scholars basically do. Even though I'm an observant Jew, I happen to also be an academic scholar. And for most observant people, whether they're Jews or other religions such as Christianity, 
it often is a mixture that's not possible. How can you be a believer and question the scriptural validity? How can you be a practicing Jew and question that there are different authors, for example, of the Genesis story of creation, which there are, a Adam and Eve creating the image of God, and then you have an individual creation, which is chapter 2, or one is a cosmology creation of the world in six days, and then Genesis 2, a totally different story of the creation that leads up to the creation of Adam and Eve as separate beings. I guess everybody who's academic and religious works out their own system. I, in my opinion, am fortunate I come from a tradition that believes in reason over belief, which it does. Rationalizing something is part of the belief system. If one comes from a system of belief first, for example, justification by faith alone, then one is going to have a more of a challenge, it seems to me, in dealing with actual practice. Judaism would be so-called, uh, using New Testament words, justification by law, meaning actions. Judaism has what's called a commandment system, thou shalt do, thou shalt not do. And in Jewish tradition, as I'll say this afternoon and this evening in the talk, has the philosophy of Naset, we shall do, and then follows with we shall understand, we shall hear, we shall, you know, rationalize, but do and then rationalize. In the Western association of ideas, you first understand something before you even try to do something, for God's sakes. You're taking a, a, a leap of faith, so to speak, by not understanding what you're doing. On the other hand, goes the argument, if the source of what you're doing is God as God as God so commands, then trust in that, even though it's not clear, not why you're doing, but as you do what is not clear, how much more so, you try to reason an explanation. Case involved, I would have a chicken meal, I would have milk, I would not join the two together. How much more so if it's meat? You don't have a glass of healthy milk with a, with a piece of hamburger, or if it's kosher hamburger, whatever. No, I would not. Why not? Would you eat them separately? Yes. You don't mix meat and milk together. Aren't you beyond that now? No, I'm not. What's your explanation? It's very simple. To have meat meal, which I'm trying to get away from, by the way, personally, you have to kill. To have milk and cheese and dairy, it comes from a living animal. You don't kill mother cow. And I guess just by that lesson itself, why I don't eat milk and meat in a, in a dinner conversation, a philosophy is offered. I like that philosophy. Even if it doesn't make sense, this is, for me, the sensual part of what I do. And I think the historical Jesus, what has been missing for Jews, is that the historical Jewish Jesus, which the church definitely affirms, is often not taught by the church. It is the Christ of faith, the incarnation. Historically, you have the Council of Nicaea, with the second person. The Council of Constantinople in 381 is the third person. And what Catholics in their affirmation have what's called the Nicene Constantinople Creed. Then you have a 451 council, which puts the road together, and the so-called Trinity is born. The Jesus of the New Testament scripture, said to be written primarily by Jewish influence, and certainly his lifestyle, where he's called rabbi, and references like that, suggest a Jewish lifestyle, which I feel Jews are missing out. And it may be a philosophy of Judaism, among other philosophies of Judaism, which has not been an acceptable one, but still part of the culture, and that, I think, is one reason among many why the Jew should get out of his harness 
and open up and study. It's not the day of the polemics anymore and apologetics and executions and whatever you want to call it. That's why I bring Jesus into a Jewish studies classroom. It belongs there. Why is it important to study religion? Religion, I think, has gotten a bad press over the years. If one looks at the PEW, the Pew Research right now, as I speak, the largest denomination of Christians is now dwindling and dwindling by the thousands. And you cannot ever expect what I'm hearing right now. Thousands upon Catholics become Jack, well, Jack Mormons for the Mormon Church, but ex-Catholics, including someone who took me to the airport yesterday, who drives go-go grandparent, I am at that age, I guess, who tells me after discovering who the hell I am, since my name is known in the whole neighborhood there, uh, he's an ex-Catholic. He just drops out. Um, the church is losing thousands, seriously, due to all kinds of charges of violation of children. Protestant churches seem to come and go, and they likewise go through that number. And the Jews, of all people, should keep their numbers, but they're also losing the concept of being religious Jews. It is not an oxymoron to say a Jew is a proud Jew and he's an atheist. It is totally unacceptable for a Christian. The difference is Christianity is a belief structure. Jews said whatever you want to say about them are a peoplehood, and you've got to, that's the understanding. These agnostics and atheists saying, don't you dare try to disqualify us. We are a people, a culture, that's it. God is interesting, but just an idea. I think religion has a lot to say. I think a lot of what we call our peoplehood, our humanity, our Americanism, at least until I'm reading headlines today, where people are throwing bombs here and bombs there, has concepts such as know yourself and know your neighbor, don't destroy nature, issues of thou shalt not murder, not necessarily kill, issues of taking care of the orphan, the widow, of tikkun olam, as it's said in Hebrew tradition, repairing the world. All of these concepts, which are beautiful, conceptual, and secular, have their roots in religious ideas. Buddhism with its ways, uh, Islam with its teachings, everybody seems to have a basic principle, quote, it's religious, and somehow we do these principles not knowing it's a religious concept. Let me give you one example. In the Quran is a reference. The reference is not Quranic or Islamic. It happens to be rabbinic. It's not even biblical. It's rabbinic based upon biblical structure. It simply says, he who kills one individual is like murdering the whole world. One individual symbolizes the whole world. You don't kill under any circumstances or murder under any circumstances. That's how precious life is, including the life of the enemy. The life of a normal enemy would basically be converted into a friend. What about murderers like Nazis? Could I personally sit down with an out of Eichmann, the only person put in capital punishment in the state of Israel? Could God forbid I ever sit down with a living Hitler and simply say, well, I'm sorry, say what I did to your people? I probably could not, and rightly so, in my opinion. There is justifiable justice. I cannot just simply turn a leaf to every act that's done. And I guess when I say there's justice before mercy rather than mercy before justice, that is a religious principle, at least taught to me in Judaism. Religion has a different option of values, which in my opinion, the average young person going to college is totally in the dark of and should now be excited to learn another option of seeing the world. What do you hope the audience takes away from your talk this evening? I will predict what's going to happen. 
a prophet. I am not, nor a son of a prophet, a play upon words of Amos. Everybody listening there will be told at the very beginning, I give you full disclosure. You're not going to be the same. You're going to be hurt. Whatever I say is not intentionally meant to hurt. It has to, given the areas are so sensitive. And let me give you an example. The example is that of my father. My father was a very, very religious Jew. He was a simple Jew, born in Russia, came to this country, whatever. Fortunately, the family was not affected by the Shoah. My father, Morris Benjamin, his English name is Moshe Benjamin in Hebrew and Yiddish, raised me with the Yiddish language. My grandfather only spoke Yiddish, so that's where the Yiddish comes in. And my dad was the only one of the five siblings of the Garbers that made it to America. Five did not make it. They died in childbirth by my, you know, my father's side of the family. My dad went to college. How can Mr. Garber go to college? In his very sign-off book of Townsend Harris, I guess was a college he went to, the high school, I'm not even sure anymore, probably the high school, was to Morris Benjamin, we bequeath a dictionary. They wrote that to a European-born, Yiddish-speaking young man who finished the elite school called Townsend Harris. It's like the Bronx High School of Science in this day. My dad went to St. John's College or University in Brooklyn School of Pharmacy. And the picture that was taken, his graduate school picture, was he with the other graduates. And the whole first line there was a tier of priests that ran the school. That picture is before my eyes. It hung in our dining room area where we spent the Friday night, the holiday meals. And right there was a picture with Catholic church, Catholic symbols, where my father would conduct a traditional Friday night meal, whatever meals we had there. My father was also a very understanding man. I took New Testaments, I went on to UCLA with languages, went on to USC for religion, whatever. And I remember how excited I was when I told my dad I'm going to give my first talks on Jesus. My father said, watch your words. He told me, an Orthodox Jew, what does he know from orders? He knows a lot. I said, Tata in Yiddish, Daddy, what's the problem? It's a college audience. The words from Fiddler on the Roof, the Shteto. He said, how much more so? Watch your words. You're going to hurt them. I tear when I say it. You're going to hurt them. Please watch your words. I'm going to hurt people today. With the understanding through the tears, we're going to grow together. I think it's wonderful. And I appreciate your time and you being so open with me. It's been very nice it's talking to pleasure. you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I'm not a youngster. I happen to be very, very strong at the age of 77 now and whatever. I come to this campus. I've been here four time, three times before. Moshe Pelli, who's going to meet me, I guess, later today. And Ken Hansen is a wonderful young man. I'm amazed at how this campus has grown. I'm told it's either the second largest or whatever the largest. I said 60,000 students. you got to be crazy. Let me tell you how pleasant it is to hear this with the different campuses. When I began at Los Angeles Valley College, I would say without exaggeration, probably 28,000 students. 28,000 today is probably 16,000. Classes get canceled because the enrollment has to be at least 15, at one time was 30. It's a public college. Numbers go down. On one hand, I should be gladdened because people have to work. Uh, they do work, they don't have to go to school. A community college is meant for the community, etc. We were a feeder school to UCLA, we still are. And I guess in my time, the show the difference. At a two-year college, 
a man by the name of Menachem Begin was going to be hosted there, maybe 90 people they arranged for a one who had more pounds on his head by the British government as an underground fighter. The film Exodus narrates Paul Newman's, you know, two friends or uncles there, or, or two uncles, one of them's the Argun fighter, Menachem Begin. They couldn't get enough people for Begin. We had him at Valley College with 2,000 people. 1978, I introduced the opposition leader in Israel's parliament, Knesset Menachem Begin. He had an audience totally in his hand if he had to. He was asked from the audience, Mr. Begin, what do you think of the then uh, Prime Minister uh, Yitzhak Rabin, uh, tragically assassinated by a Jewish zealot at the end of his life a few years ago? Menachem Begin, unlike Presidents Bill Clinton and Trump and everybody else, was asked an opinion off the land of Israel, out of the Senate or Knesset of Israel, and responsibly said, I do not criticize my prime minister. Next question. That's what's called pro proper derecherets, decorum. It's one thing in the country, go at it. Out of the country, you somehow solidify, you show respect. We've had Isaac Bauschewa Singer, the laureate himself, speak at Valley College. We've had incredible dignitaries speak at a two-year school, and now to see the closing down of all colleges teaching Hebrew, we're the only ones still teaching Hebrew, and now coming here. I've learned something. It's really joy and sadness. 30 students I taught today, unprepared, but I can walk into anything and talk and talk and talk and talk. I'm also told that Hebrew's taught online. I'm also taught that an old senior here, Moshe Pelli, has to sit with his computer and teach. We don't know how to teach by computers. This is the future of education. What do I leave with a beautiful campus? All the power to you continue to grow. What I'm sad about is that the numbers get more and more by computer, by internet, and the human ability to see a person face to face, to see emotion expressed. More important to see the teacher, the professor, have tears in his eyes, cannot be seen by any computer. That is the kiss of death. On one hand, we need it. On the other hand, we, long, we lost that individual. It never should be. My legacy to this university, please don't shut down the classroom. That was Dr. Zev Garber talking with me about his presentation during the 2018 Judaic Studies Lecture Series titled, a Jewish Response to Jesus, Engaging the Gospels. For Knight's History Cast, I'm Holly Baker. Please subscribe to this podcast to hear future interviews and conversations. 